Um, let's stand together. Whoops, I went the wrong way. For the reading of the gospel. When John heard in prison what the Messiah, or Christ, was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come? Or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. The word of the Lord. You can be seated. <clears throat> I, uh, I asked, <clears throat> I was originally um, scheduled to preach last week, and I asked Sonia if she would swap with me. And then I was a little um, bummed out because I thought maybe I would get to preach about Mary, and instead I was supposed to preach about John the Baptist again. <clears throat> and um, I, uh, I wrestled with that a little bit, because I was like, two weeks on John the Baptist? How depressing is that, right? And one of the lectionary passages this week is the one where John gets his head cut off, and so... I called Josh, and I'm like, Josh, really? And he said, no, no, we don't have to do that one. I was like, oh, okay. So as I got into this a little more, I thought, well, I can't, let, I can't let Mary go, and I'm so glad that we read those words about Mary earlier. She's going to sneak her way into the sermon, don't you worry. But I wanted to start a little bit um, with some reflections on Mary. What, this one I saw this week. If God has removed the mighty from their thrones, what will his followers do with those empty seats of power? an apt reflection for us, right? Uh, from Mary's words about this reversal of power. And, uh, and then just a few, okay, if you love the song, Mary, Did You Know, I'm sorry, I'm going to totally ruin it for you now. No. All right, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, two men wrote that song, and some uh, reflections, thanks to one of my dear friends, Jen, uh, pointed out some really hilarious recent takes on this. All right. Um, Mary, did you know? Yes, yes, I knew. The angel told me. <laughs> <clears throat> and then um, this one, a little more. Uh, Mary, did you know? Are you really going to mansplain the gospel to me? Have you even read the Magnificat, or did you just read the title and then skip to the comments? <laughs> she knew. <clears throat> um, and I'm so glad that we got to proclaim her words this morning. Uh, a prophet in her own right, sharing with us good news and the surprising and subversive good news. We might even say she was the only one who got it. Because as the story goes on, everyone continues to not get it, right? Um, and of course, Mary had her own questions later, but still. Prepare the way last week. Because we did talk about John the Baptist last week, if you remember. <clears throat> um, and thank you, Sonia. We, we wondered, what does it mean to get ready? What does it mean when these systems are failing around us? What does repentance look like? And I was stuck with this image of uh, repentance as being on this, this road, this way. 
this way. Um, and on the road, moving away from the centers of power and towards the wilderness, towards uncertainty, towards weakness, towards questions, towards doubt, which is actually where we start this week. You know, John's an interesting character. Only two Gospels begin with Jesus' birth, but all four preface Jesus' ministry with John the Baptist's ministry. And it's brief, but it's a ministry we, we do well to pay attention to. This voice in the wilderness. And his own ministry sparked political unrest and led to his death, much like Jesus' ministry. He was a threat to the establishment. Sonia reminded us last week, historically, Advent has focused on not only the first coming, but also the second coming of Christ. And that's why we have all these John the Baptist references. It's this reminder that Christ has come and Christ will come again. And we're living in that tension of the in-between. And so we remember what John called us to, as well as what Jesus called us to. The centers of religious and political power stand to be disrupted with the advent of the kingdom of heaven. This is John's message. And Jesus' message. And something interesting about John is that um, he's preaching judgment, right? But judgment is not bad news. I think that's hard for us sometimes to wrestle with. Judgment is good news. God will set things right. Finally, God will right the wrongs. He will bring justice for the oppressed. It's, it's, a, it's a good news kind of justice. But for now, we're stuck with waiting. We're stuck with waiting. We're in between. I was asking students about this a few weeks ago here, um, about waiting and Advent and, and sort of what that's like. And one, one of our students reflected, you know, sometimes the waiting is better than the event itself. Sometimes uh, the waiting is better. Sorry, that was my John the Baptist that I totally skipped. Um, Sometimes the waiting is better than the getting. The waiting is better than the getting. And I wonder if you've ever experienced that. Um, maybe the job you've dreamed of that wasn't what you expected. The relationship you longed for that turned out to be less than a fairy tale. The child you hoped for in parenting turned out to be hard work. And full of a lot of disappointment and frustration, usually at yourself. Um, things don't always turn out quite the way we expect. So I wonder, I want to invite you to think, think for a moment. Think of a time you were waiting for something, and then it wasn't what you expected. A time you were waiting for something, and it ended up not being what you expected. Maybe you were disappointed or surprised, maybe just different. Just different, okay? Turn to one other person just for a minute and talk about that, all right? What was something you've waited for that just turned out different?
All right, uh, anybody want to share something that came to mind? <laughs> yeah, that's good. It's good. Different. Thank you. Yeah, what else? Not what you expected. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. I've had a lot of things I've bought that were not what I expected when I got them. Yeah. Good. Amazon can be like that. Being what else? Adult, being an adult, becoming an adult. Yeah. Yeah. Being an adult. So true. Y2K. Y2K. Oh, thank you. That's so good. So good. That's great. Everybody under 25 is like, huh? All right, it's good. With you, yeah. Hey, what up? <laughs> what? One more? Yeah, Caitlin. Yeah, it's good. That's so good. You know, actually, that came to mind as an example for me of something that like people move in together. You know, like friends, you know, get together and rent a place or buy a place, and it doesn't always turn out to be exactly what you expected. Yeah, how about that? It's good. Whew. Patrice. So good. Yeah. Yeah, let's just roll with that, right? Okay. So most of the time, most of the time, things don't come out exactly as we expected. And isn't that interesting for us? especially as people who prefer control, predictability, stability, right? Um, as it turns out, life's not like that. And that's one of the more, um, it's one of the deeper realities we have to wrestle with as humans. And I think probably one of the things that becomes hard as adults, right? The longer we go, the more we realize, oh, right, that also didn't turn out like I thought. Oh, and then that didn't turn out like I thought. Um, and sometimes it's more delightful, right? And sometimes it's awful. And we just don't know whatever it is. But along the way, the stories we tell ourselves narrate our lives. The stories we tell ourselves narrate, at the end of the day, how we end up dealing with these disruptions and these realities. So here we find John. Are you the one who's to come, or are we to wait for another? Are you the one who's to come? Or should we still wait? Now, John's in jail, right? He's, he's near the preemptive end of his life, which we're not going to talk about. We feel the weight not only of John's 30-some-odd years, but of 400 years of silence. <laughs> of waiting. John's known all his, Jesus all his life, presumably, but now 
Jesus isn't fitting his mental model of the one. The one. So mental models are sort of how we organize our lives, how we make sense of the world around us, right? So my friend Scott always uses this idea of when I say car, you have this mental model in your mind of what a car is, and it has four wheels, and you sit behind a steering wheel and drive it, and it has an engine, and you know. Well, what happens when someone sort of disrupts your mental model of a car? What if a car were to fly through the air, like Joel really wants to happen, okay? Um, What if a car suddenly didn't have a driver behind the wheel, like is happening right now? How does that disrupt our mental model of car? What if a car didn't need to run on fossil fuels? I mean, that, you know, that was such a disruptive idea that was nowhere in, in no one's mental model. Just like before that, um, you know, our mental models of transportation involved animals uh, pulling things. Mental models help us organize our life. Like church is one of those mental models. Sometimes Mountainside doesn't fit our our mental models of church, and we have particular expectations of what a church should be and do, and in our consumer society, we see church as a provider of goods and services that we consume. And Mountainside tries to live into a way of being church that runs opposite that mental model, that turns that upside down, that, that can only survive on participation and a different imagination. And honestly, sometimes that's disappointing because church doesn't fit our expectations about what church should provide for us or for our children. Um, It's a different mental model, right? So Messiah or Christ, which is the same word, right? Just to remind us, Messiah is a Hebrew word, Christ is a Greek word. They mean the same thing. They mean anointed one. People had all kinds of mental models for what that would be. And there was this long, long waiting period and this silent period where there were no prophets. There was no word from the Lord. And the waiting, you know, you can imagine how people kind of come up with their own ideas and models of of what's to come when you're waiting for a long time, right? You kind of, you sort of drum up your own imagination. And so some people were imagining the Messiah when this person came, would be a military leader. Some kind of, you know, military coup that would overthrow the Roman government. Some, some imagined um, that this would be a political leader, a king. Some imagined this would be a religious leader. There were all kinds of hopes tied up, often sort of all three together. There was this hope in, for uh, power and violence to be part of this Messiah's reign. And this hope was embedded in Jesus' life. It was the promise that was given to John's mother when John the Baptist was still in the womb. It was this promise um, given to Joseph before Jesus was born. It was the angel who said to Joseph, name him Jesus, which is the form of the Greek form of Joshua, which means the Lord saves, because the Lord has come to save his people. This is Jesus' whole life, his very name evoked this hope, right? But we have small imaginations. 
This is what uh, Mary is saying about that we sometimes miss. This Messiah came to bring a reversal of power. And our imaginations still are too small. We're still looking to power, to violence, to solve our problems. We still cling to the hope of the myth of redemptive violence as a solution to our problems. John may not have been expecting that military political upheaval, but, but the coming um, day of the Lord, the sense of the end of an age and an, an ushering in of a new time. Judgment. Right? Judgment. So if John all his life had heard and expected Jesus would be the one who would bring this new day, bring this judgment, John's looking around right now, and where is he? He's in jail. At the hands of a political tyrant. We know the end of that story is going to die on a whim. Right? About politics and love and whatever else. So John's wondering, hey, where's the liberty for the captives? Where's the judgment of the wicked? Jesus, have you noticed Herod? You know, like, it, what's, what's going on? John was hearing all kinds of rumors. Some of them were strange. He was weary. He was worried. He was wondering what if. Remember, these stories we tell ourselves start to narrate our lives. And so, we find John, um, like us, what do we do when what we've hoped for doesn't feel like enough? What do we do when what we've hoped for doesn't feel like success? Doesn't feel like the right answer? Getting that degree starting in an immigration resource center and then watching DACA come to a crashing end. Right? What, what do we do when, when hope gets deferred? Because waiting can lead to hope, can also lead to despair. Missy um, was in downtown L.A. recently and snapped this picture. Um, what about when hope's deferred? What about when you think you're going towards hope and then you get a detour? What do you, what do, you do with that? This is a beautiful Advent picture. Um, what if you're a Palestinian waiting on the wrong side of Jerusalem, seeing hope destroyed in one day by a word from a power-hungry regime miles away across the world? What happens to your hope when it's deferred like that? What happens to your hope when you're like the Somali-Americans this week who were put on a plane and chained and shackled like slaves and flown across the world to be deported from the U.S. only to be flown back and not given adequate food, water, access to restrooms on that flight? This is this week. This isn't like hundreds of years ago. Hope deferred. What do you do? It's astounding for us that the Gospel writers show us this portrait of an unsure John. Of a John with second thoughts. And it helps cement for us, I think, the role of doubt in the life of faith. It helps us lean into the mystery of Christ. The mystery of the kingdom and of God's action or inaction. Apparently, Even the messenger himself, John, um, 
Jesus' own disciples are doubtful, fearful, hesitant. At least one will betray him. At least one will deny him. Jesus' unveiling as the Messiah, one commentator has said, is a veiled unveiling. A veiled unveiling. Jesus gets to define who the Messiah is, um, but Matthew's trying to take us there. And it's interesting, in, in early Matthew, we have these sort of hints, right? Matthew starts out, this is, here are the ancestors of Jesus the Christ. Jacob was the father of Joseph, da-da-da-da-da, who's called the Christ. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. He gathered, um, this is Herod, the chief priests, and asked them where the Christ was to be born. That's all in Matthew 1 and 2, and then nothing. And then we just see Jesus on the scene, doing what Jesus does. And then here we are in Matthew 11. John's in prison, and he hears what the Christ was doing. This is the first mention since then. So he asks, are you the one? Jesus answers, uh, not with his identity, but with his actions. He repeats actions from the prophets of the one who is to come. Okay, so Jesus is doing prophet speak to another prophet. Um, doesn't always make sense to us, but here's what some of those passages are that Jesus is quoting. On that day, I'm just going to highlight a few things. The deaf will hear, the blind will see, the poor will find joy, the neediest will rejoice in the Holy One. And then this, check this out. The tyrant will be no more, the mocker will perish. Those who pointlessly postpone justice for the innocent. By Jesus evoking this, he's also evoking for John, hey, that too, right? Your oppressor too will not have the last word. Your oppressor will not have the last word. And, and, and Jesus is evoking this language that John would be familiar with, that he would have maybe memorized from Isaiah. The eyes of the blind will be opened, the deaf, the lame, the speechless. The Lord's people will enter with everlasting joy on their heads. Happiness and joy will overwhelm them. Do you start to see the connection for why we're talking about this on the Sunday that we're talking about joy? I, my grumpiness started to subside a little bit when I got into these passages. <laughs> and then Isaiah 61, which we've already read, the, the Lord's anointed me. Good before. The brokenhearted, captives, prisoners, those who mourn. They're going to exchange joy for mourning. Jesus' quick list would have evoked all these images for John. But then he goes even a step further. This is kind of weird. He says, blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. Or, or some translations, who doesn't stumble because of me. The word there is scandalize. Blessed is anyone who's not scandalized by me. Whew. Clearly people are taking offense, right? This isn't the first time John's disciples have come to ask Jesus, Hey, what's up? At least once before they took offense. Uh, Jesus was attracting the wrong kind of followers, and they weren't following all the right rules. They weren't fasting. Maybe they were partying too much. They weren't following the scripts. Jesus said it, it's time for a new story, a bigger story. But by the end of that story, everyone takes offense. 
People are scandalized by this story. This version of Messiah is scandalous. And here Jesus is connecting back to Matthew 5 and the Beatitudes. That series of, of who's blessed, those who mourn, those who are meek, the merciful, the peacemakers, the persecuted. Josh said, Jesus blesses those who expose our vulnerabilities. And here again, Jesus is blessing us when we're exposed by leaning into this scandal. I think we're scandalized by remembering and retelling the birth of Jesus. We're scandalized by images that disrupt our peaceful nativities. A few more for you. Um, this is Maria y Jose. Um, it's a little too, like, um, Christian corny with some of the background images, but, you know, this sort of begs the question, like, what, what are the scandalous circumstances of births like Jesus? Um, or where were all the important people in this scene? Right? You'll get there in a minute. Um, last week, Trisha was sharing with our youth on Sunday night at, at our Christmas gathering um, about Mary, you know, in her own, like, dealing with this news of being the one who was going to bear the Messiah. And that Mary was probably a teenager. You know, we don't totally know, but she was probably a teenager. And um, Anna brought up afterwards, and has brought it up a couple times this week, like, never really thought about Mary maybe being a teenager. You know, and like, we, we talk about how wonderful it was that she got this news, but that was probably really hard. And maybe she was shamed, and maybe she was rejected, and maybe she really dealt with some hard stuff. We have some hints of it. We don't know exactly. We think about the wonderful part, but it was hard. It was hard. We're scandalized when we really think about the message of Jesus' birth. Um, here's another image I saw this week. This is um, the Egyptian hosts. Um, this is a Christmas card, by the way. And here's the greeting on the inside. The Christmas child was just a toddler when he arrived at the outskirts of our village. He was subdued, scared. His father was jittery and anxious, even desperate. His mother's red, swollen eyes wore a hunted, haunting look. They were refugees, dusty, frightened, helpless. They needed a safe place to hide from a killer king. They didn't belong to our tribe. They didn't speak our language. But we didn't send them away. Instead, we welcomed them, nourished them, made them part of our community. We weren't Christians since there weren't any of those yet. We weren't Jews either. We were Egyptians, but you'd probably call us pagans. Merry Christmas, the Egyptian hosts. <laughs> you, can, you, can find, you can order these Christmas cards at Common Good Christians. Um, I love it. Scandalous. Blessed. Scandalous. Blessed. Advent. Hope. The stories we tell ourselves narrate our lives. And I wonder, are we telling ourselves the best story? And are we telling the people around us, our communities, our families, 
Are we telling each other at Mountainside the best story? In this season, in this culture that's so desperate for good news, are we telling the best story that's a scandalous story? In, in this passage with John, there's not much place for triumphalist Christianity here. The Gospel writer holds an undeniable grounding in current reality and the effects of this age. John's in prison. Doesn't, it doesn't end well. Evil's real. We might take offense because we want the full kingdom now, and frankly, it's hard to wait. And it doesn't seem like enough. Jesus prepares us to receive something less, even suffering and death, in response to his messianic hope. John is the first one to live out this paradox. The kingdom is among us, but it's also not yet. Advent invites us to wait, to doubt, to struggle, and ultimately to find joy. I like to think that after this report, when John's disciples went back to him to report what they heard from Jesus, that John was somehow filled with not only a renewed hope, but also a deep sense of joy. That he could see through the, the veiled language the promises that Jesus was making. This reassurance. This, this promise, like we read this morning, that those who sow in tears will eventually reap with shouts of joy. That those who go out weeping, bearing the seed, shall come home with shouts of joy when they carry the fruit of the harvest. I like to think that John experienced some deep sense of joy in those last days when he heard these words from Jesus. And I think we're invited to hold those words in joy as well. Thank you, Laura. Joy is a form of resistance. You, to you totally took us there. Celebrate anyway. Right? So, some things just suck. And celebrate anyway. There's hope. There's promise. And in sharing the joy, we somehow offer resistance to the dark. We can light our candles and curse the darkness. And invite. Invite the light of the world into that. That light of the world we sing about. Um, there's contradictions. And the contradictions point the way in this very story. And I think that's why it's here. I think the wisdom of the ancients who put together this liturgical calendar for us, as much as I was grumpy at them at the beginning of this, um, and grumpy at Josh for making me stay in Matthew, um, there's a seed of joy here in the contradiction. And that's a lot like life. And it's good news. Um, miraculously, we have a moment before the children are here. And I wonder what other reflections are on your mind. And Aaron Defoe Hunter, my dear friend, has the first one.
<laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have the guts or the time to handle the next part of the passage. Go ahead. Yes. And it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Thank you for that. Yeah, in that passage, Jesus is the one who says of John, he was, he was the Elijah who was to come. Like, Jesus names for John what John didn't name for himself. That he... So Jesus is, in a sense, saying, John's the legit one, too. Right? Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Good. As kids come in, come on in, gang. Um, anybody else? A thought, a reflection? Yeah, John.
good. Yeah, yeah. Like Dallas Willard used to say something like, you know, that the gospel is the best possible news about the best way to live and the best, the best news about life right now. Right? Yeah, it's good. Um, anything else? We've still got, we've got a few more kids to wait on, right? We can also sing our way. Any other reflection, thoughts? Or kids, anything amazing you want to share with us from your time worshiping this morning? All right. Well, why, why don't we sing a little bit? We, oh, what, was there a hand? Will did, yeah. Oh, yes, William. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. And how important the name of Jesus is. And when we say the name of Jesus, right, we're saying God saves. God is saving. Um, that good news is among us. It's good. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. As we come to the table, um, remember we're not only preparing the way to remember Jesus' birth, but we're preparing the way to say, come, Lord Jesus. That's the story that we tell. Um, and we remember at this table the mystery of faith that we proclaim each week, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. We remember that on the night of his death, Jesus took bread, he broke it, and he shared it with his friends. He said, take and eat, and whenever you eat, um, Remember that this is my body. It's broken for you. And he also took a cup, shared it with them. He offered it. He said, this is um, the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Pour it out for you. And whenever you drink it, remember me. So we remember... Jesus, today, as we take this meal, um, as we share in these gifts, we celebrate anyway. We offer joy as resistance. And we feast together at the Lord's table. Amen.